You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. Happy Thursday, everybody. Wednesday was a crazy day in the NBA. If you were paying attention to the Lockdown Network and Lockdown feed yesterday, there was a, a live reaction show that a few of our hosts were able to do during the day to all the crazy stuff that happened in the morning. That was even before we got to the Rookie of the Year announcement and a couple of really good games and, and a historic comeback slash historic collapse last night. Wednesday was about as jam-packed a, a, of an NBA news day as we've had in a long time. So I do want to start with the Rookie of the Year award announcement. I want to talk about the voting results and my final thoughts on it. I've talked about it quite a bit on the show, but um, I, you know, there's a school of thought here that the NBA kind of slid that one in because that's no longer, that's not at all the headline from Wednesday. They got some great games Wednesday night too, but I want to open with it because this is, of course, a Wolves blog and Anthony Edwards was the runner up in the voting. And there's a pretty vocal segment of fans that felt like he should have won the award. So I want to give thoughts on that, talk through the results and then get into all the crazy just kind of general NBA stuff from Chris Paul to Kawhi Leonard to the Mavs moving on from Donnie Nelson uh, to to the games last night. I mean, there, there's just so much that that happened over the course of the day on Wednesday. So we'll hit that over the final uh, you know half or so of the show, but we'll open here with Rookie of the Year um, and uh, Anthony Edwards' talk. A quick reminder here off the top, you can follow this show anywhere you listen to podcasts. That includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course, the all-new Odyssey app. Odyssey spelled A-U-D-A-C-Y. And you can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves and at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, so Rookie of the Year voting. Um, Anthony Edwards was always the underdog. Oh, I shouldn't say always. He probably was the favorite coming into the season uh, in terms of betting odds because he was the number one overall pick. Everyone knew he'd have an opportunity. The Wolves were expected to be better than the Charlotte Hornets were this year. And uh, But I, I would say... I don't know, once we got to like mid-January, late January, early February, Edwards was was no longer the favorite. It was very clear that the Mellow Ball was the best rookie. And by almost any measure, once they both became starters, they both uh, improved pretty rapidly. But Ball from day one, even when he wasn't a starter, was a, appeared to be an NBA-ready player. And a lot of people didn't think he would be. Um, I did have him number one on my final draft board last year. And he was my pick in the lockdown NBA mock draft for who the wolves. And I said on draft night of the live draft show that I thought the wolves should take Lamella ball. And there, there was some concern that his body wouldn't be NBA ready. His jump shot wasn't NBA ready that he hadn't played the level of competition that would prepare him to play in the NBA. All that turned out to not be an issue. And he was fantastic. All the advanced metrics suggest he was the best, uh, the best rookie this year by far. And, and there's really no comparison. Um, I should say Tyrese Halberton's in that conversation too, in terms of just, uh, you look at the advanced metrics, he was the best defender of the trio and that wasn't close at all. Ball and Edwards were both miserable defensively and Tyrese Halberton was actually passable on defense. And, um, I, I think, you know, the per game numbers are less gaudy, right? Um, Halberton only averaged 13 points, 5.3 assists. LaMelo averaged almost 16 points a game, six assists and almost six rebounds a game. Still shot 35% from three, which also is a mark that's better than Anthony Edwards. Um, so it's completely understandable why LaMelo Ball won the award. If I had a vote, 
honestly, I would have voted for LaMelo Ball. The case I've made before here on this show for Anthony Edwards to win Rookie of the Year is as follows. Anthony Edwards showed the most clear, rapid improvement over the course of the season from the time he came off the bench to being a starter. There was that quick learning curve as a starter, like late February, early March to the end of the season. He was largely fantastic. In just Mar- in just April and May, which is roughly six weeks, uh, he was unbelievable. And, and if that was all we were, you know, his final six weeks of the season were better than LaMelo Ball's final six weeks of the season. His, where he went from Christmas when the season started to mid-May was a bigger jump than what we saw from LaMelo Ball. But LaMelo Ball also started in a much better place than Anthony Edwards. Also, Charlotte was a better team um, by far. And, and of course, the Wolves had tons of injuries, obviously. But Charlotte was a better team. LaMelo Ball was better from start to finish. Edwards' trajectory was more impressive. And also... I think the sheer ceiling that people saw, I think part of this is how excited everybody is for the ceiling of Anthony Edwards. And those are not the same thing. So, I, I mean, to be very clear, like, uh, well, actually, first, let's do this. So if you want to compare stats, stat to stat, which I think is is sometimes uh, just a mistake because it doesn't tell the full story. But LaMelo Ball did have a better field goal percentage, better three-point percentage, um, only a slightly lower free throw percentage. And in terms of permanent production, he shot the ball better over the course of the season. If you look at effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, et cetera. Um, And I don't think that tells the whole story. But if you want to lump in Tyrese Halliburton, um, he shot the three ball at over 40%, 40 40.9%. He shot the ball from the field at 47% this year. So if we're just strictly playing the statistics game, then you could argue for Tyrese Halliburton, but the usage for LaMelo Ball, the role that he played on his team was all greater. His team was obviously better. Um, so I think I think Ball is the rightful winner of this award, but Halliburton and Edwards, in any other year, both of them would have received significant consideration. Um, of course, the winner of this award has nothing to do with who's going to be better long-term. I shouldn't have to point that out, but I will. The mo- I mean, probably the best example is 2009. I mean, that draft was absolutely stacked. Tyreek Evans won the Rookie of the Year award in 2009. Uh, other players in that draft class, James Harden, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, um, all guys who are who have been multiple-time All-Stars. Drew Holiday, who, of course, has been on an All-Star team. Um, I mean, it's a really, really stacked draft class. Tyreek Evans, after his rookie year, I mean, that was, frankly really his peak. Um, and, and, and he won the rookie of the year that season. So I think, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. It seems like it in the moment because Timberwolves fans are, are rightfully passionate about Anthony Edwards as a player and his ceiling and what he can be. Um, the dunk of course was, was a, a massive deal over Yuta Watanabe back a couple of, you know, in March, I think it was early March. Um, all of those things, he won rookie of the month three times, all those things play into it. The Timberwolves official Twitter account just tweeted out LOL right after the announcement um, came out. And uh, Anthony, or excuse me, yeah, Edwards responded to a fan who had tweeted about it, um, uh, about him not making it and talking about adding fuel to the fire. I think I think the phrase was, uh, you don't want to poke the bear. And Anthony Edwards responded, responded with a couple of 100 emojis. Um, Carl Anthony Towns tweeted three crying emojis to the news. So there was, there was a swift... Backlash maybe isn't the right right word, but swift reaction from from Timberwolves players and, and folks around the Timberwolves specifically. Um, you know, league wide there wasn't as much. Again, there was a lot going on. Uh, but but again, I, I referenced his April and May. Edwards in April and May averaged 
April and May together, 23.4 points, 5.3 rebounds, and 3.8 assists per game. Shot 46.8% from the field and 36.5% from three. So a fantastic close to the season for Anthony Edwards. And again, if that's the metric that we're measuring this on, then you could absolutely make that argument. But all of the season-long metrics would suggest that LaMelo Ball uh, would be the rightful winner of this award. So congratulations to LaMelo. Oh, I should also mention the voting totals. Um, Melo got... 84 of the 99 potential first place votes. Anthony Edwards got the other 15. So nobody else got a first place vote. Second place votes, Anthony Edwards got 75 of the 99 second place votes. Of course, he also had 15 first place votes. That gives us 90, which means that there were nine people that put him third on their ballot behind Tyrese Halliburton. Edwards got nine third place votes. Halliburton got those nine second place, 87 third. The only other player to get votes was Sadiq Bey, who got three third place votes in place of Tyrese Halliburton, which is insane. I really like Sadiq Bey. I thought he was a great prospect. I thought he had a great season, but Halliburton was really good. Um, so to leave him off the ballot, I mean, Bay's probably fourth. I don't know that there's much of an argument there, uh, but um, putting him over Halliburton is, is a tough thing, I think, to do. So that's those are your results. That's what happened. I'm totally cool with what happened. It would have been great to see Edwards win it. Hopefully this does truly motivate him. I don't I don't know that he needed much additional motivation. He's obviously a, a really hard worker and, and improved a ton, a ton from his freshman season at at Georgia to his rookie year in the NBA. So I, I don't really have any concerns with him needing the extra motivation, but certainly not a bad thing if that's the case. Okay, I want to move on to the crazy NBA news, and there was a lot of it. Um, so we're going to do that next. First, though, uh, related to the playoffs, Michelob Ultra has been taking us down the road to the finals here over the past few weeks in the playoffs. And uh, this week, it's a, a brand new segment, I guess started, I think, last week. The uh, Ultra Moment brought to us by our partners at Michelob Ultra. It was a tough choice. Well, who am I kidding? No, it wasn't really that tough of a choice this time around. The choice for the Michelob Ultra moment of the week goes to Kevin Durant. Um, and I thought about giving it to somebody from Wednesday night's games, but there wasn't one single individual performance that was nearly as insane as what Durant did on Tuesday in the Nets win over the Bucks. Remember, the Bucks were up big in that game. They're up 16 at halftime. They were threatening to take a 3-2 series lead and seemed to have the momentum in the series. The Kyrie Irving injury, James Harden came back, but was not himself, made one shot in the entire game from the field. And what does Kevin Durant do? He, he brings the joy, the happiness, the enjoyment to the table, turns in a 49-point performance, 49 points on just 23 shots, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, and two blocks. You talk about bringing joy and happiness to the game. Even his post-game interview, the man played 48 minutes and he was ready to go. Fantastic game. Played every single minute of it. And uh, as Michelob Ultra would, rejoy, would remind you, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Kevin Durant and his playoff performance in the Nets win over the Bucks on Tuesday is our ultra moment of the week. All right, let's dive into this crazy... Long, long list of NBA news before we get into the playoffs. Uh, first, the, the biggest news of the morning, there were two things that happened right away in the morning. We found out that Chris Paul of the Suns, of course, was is out indefinitely, is in the NBA's health and safety protocols. I have the benefit now of knowing how this whole thing unfolded. Not that I guess we know that much more now than we did first thing on, on Wednesday, but it broke after I recorded Wednesday's show. And he's they're still saying he's out indefinitely. And my initial thought was, well, if he's out indefinitely, um, you know, the NBA, of course, is not making unless players opt to announce whether or not they've been vaccinated. 
my initial thought was, uh, I wonder if he's not vaccinated, if there was an exposure, if he tested positive. I mean, we're talking about a two-week absence, most likely. Um, Matt Barnes, of course, is on ESPN now, was on The Jump on Wednesday and said on air that Chris Paul told him that he has been vaccinated. So the NBA has different protocol now than they did back when the season started in December. And basically, if he still, if anybody shows symptoms consistent with COVID-19, then they must uh, enter the protocol. And there's a couple of ways to get out of it. And this, I'm reading this now from an article on ESPN. It says, the person in the test or in the, in protocols must return at least two consecutive negative PCR tests at least 24 hours apart, or they could go 10 days from onset of symptoms. Um, and, uh, you know, if he's vaccinated, I, apparently that speeds up the process as it should. Um, now, if he does have a positive test and we don't know that he does, there's nothing to indicate that he does, then they wouldn't, he would not be allowed to participate in any sort of training for 10 days and then do a cardiac screen. And obviously, uh, I guess, I guess I don't know if he has to test negative then after the 10 days or not, but I mean, we could be looking at a 10 day absence and I didn't play out the full schedule, but what the Western conference, uh, the other series is, is now five games in. So, I mean, we're looking at minimum. I mean, it could be, it could be four days. I guess it'd be five days before the next series starts, but it could be as long as eight days. Right. Um, so this is significant. There's a decent chance that he misses at least game one of the next series. Um, of course, now we're, that, that could happen in the next game. We'll, we'll talk about the playoffs next segment, but I mean, game five's over. We're talking two more games in that series uh, at most. It could just be one more. So that's, a huge thing. Monty Williams was non-committal when when he was talking to the media on Wednesday, which is fair. He doesn't have any more information apparently than what the team has announced, and so he he said basically he didn't want to be pessimistic. But it's this time is allowing him to evaluate what the rotation could look like without Chris Paul. And Paul's been, I mean, obviously everybody knows the impact he has on the court. But after a relatively quiet stretch in the first round, dealing with the shoulder injury, etc., uh, he was really good against Denver just in the conference semifinals. So in the first round, he averaged 9.7.7 assists. Second round in just four games against Denver, he averaged 25 and a half points, 10 assists and five rebounds in the four game sweep, shot 62% from the field and 58.3% on three point attempts uh, at, a, at a perfect uh, 22 for 22 from the free throw line. So clearly beyond the leadership thing, beyond the being the floor general thing, the playoff performance of Chris Paul is going to be sorely missed if he does indeed miss the first part of that next series. So that was the first story. The next story was Kawhi Leonard and the announcement that he was going to miss Wednesday night's game and possibly the end of the rest of the series due to a knee injury. They're calling it a sprain. And he had initially traveled with the team, but now traveled with the team to Salt Lake City, but went back to Los Angeles for further evaluation seems pretty unlikely, especially with a 3-2 lead, that they're going to throw him out there in game six here in a couple days. Um, we don't know the full nature of the injury, but obviously that impacted the team quite a bit uh, from a mental perspective as well as from the on-court perspective. Paul George had been playing better of late. I think he scored 30-plus in three straight games. But he doesn't have the most sterling playoff reputation and wasn't great in the, you know, famously in the playoff series against Utah a couple of years ago when he was on the Thunder. I guess it was three years ago now, the whole playoff P situation. That did not go well for him. And he wasn't outstanding in the first round either this year. But uh, we'll talk about Paul George's performance, which was fantastic on, on Wednesday here next segment. But the news that Kawhi is going to be out you would think that that would have made the Jazz favorites for the series, but Mike Conley still hasn't played. He didn't play again on Wednesday. So um, 
if Kawhi indeed can return, if the Clippers can finish off the Jazz this weekend and Kawhi can return, you know, in the next round, that's not as big of a deal. But I think it was a little bit of a surprise that the injury was that severe, although I guess it did take him out of the game at, at the end of it uh, the other day. And so there's some thought, you know, it was out there that it could have been something, but it was it was a surprise that they were already basically ruling him out for the rest of the series, although they kind of went back and forth on that, I think. But at any rate, um, huge news there. And then the other stuff uh, that continued, it was just this cascade of, of things that happened. Um, Donnie Nelson, who's been with the Mavericks now for 24 seasons, he's been in the front office forever as well. He is widely credited with discovering Dirk Nowitzki as well as uh, not discovering, but pushing for the Mavs to make a move to get Luka Doncic on draft night a couple of years ago. Uh, he is apparently mutually parting ways with with the Dallas Mavericks organization. And this is now reporting from Tim McMahon at ESPN. He says, Nelson's departure comes after internal friction due to the increasing decision-making influence of Mavericks Director of Quantitative Research and Development, Harlobus Vulgaris, or if you're a... Uh, or if you've followed Vulgaris on Twitter or heard him on various podcasts, Bob Vulgaris is uh, is what he goes by. He's the former professional gambler who used to be on, he was on the, the Bill Simmons podcast at The Ringer quite a bit and uh, was very active on game nights, uh, watching games, uh, talking about, uh, you know, the, the obviously the the metrics and his, his models that allowed him to be a successful professional gambler much of it on the NBA and had worked in an NBA front office previously. I don't recall which team he had worked for, but had been with the team, had said he didn't enjoy working for a team, was back into professional gambling. And the Mavs hired him back in 2018. He reports directly to Mark Cuban, which is interesting because, of course, Donnie Nelson was the president of basketball operations and general manager. And Vulgaris also would communicate directly with Rick Carlisle, of course, the Mavs head coach. And according to uh, Tim McMahon at ESPN, Nelson objected to that. And that was kind of the the impetus for this this breakup, I guess. Um, and so it they made the decision over the weekend, and uh, Donnie Nelson's out in Dallas, which is the reasoning is fascinating that Cuban would uh, not that we don't know the details. I'm not saying necessarily Cuban siding with Vulgaris after just three years, but Donnie Nelson's been there 24 years, has a pretty great track record, um, and and you know the fact that that he was relatively unceremoniously shown the door or, or I guess was interested in being shown the door because of the vulgaris influences is really fascinating that that all happened so quickly. Um, so Donnie Nelson's out in Dallas and, uh, I guess that's the last, the last story to cover here outside of the rookie of the year thing, which you already talked about. So a super busy day before players actually got on the court last night. So I want to close by talking about the NBA playoffs and what happened, um, in the two games that, that we're on on Wednesday. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's talk about our friends at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the quarter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rockauto.com is a family business and has been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet 
Um, go explore their easy to use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Let's also talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, let's talk about the playoffs. There were a couple of great games on Wednesday. Um, A reminder that the road to the finals, all NBA playoffs coverage here at Locked On is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Let's, uh, I actually want to spend most of the time talking about the Eastern Conference game because that was insane. Um, let, so let's quickly talk about the second game, which was Clippers Jazz. I've, I've mostly been talking Western Conference lately, but um, the first game is, to me, uh, a little bit more worth focusing on. Uh, Game two was Clippers Jazz. Of course, this was tied two games apiece. No Kawhi Leonard, no Mike Conley in this game. Um, The Clippers held a five-point lead at halftime, or excuse me, the Jazz held a five-point lead at halftime. The Clippers had a massive third quarter and really took control of the game. Um, With no Mike Conley, the Jazz offense has really struggled to, to find much consistency. Now, Boyan Bogdanovich was fantastic in this game. He had 32 on 10 of 20 shooting, made nine threes on 17 three-point attempts. Um, so 17 of his 20 shot attempts were threes, which is pretty close to the ratio you'd expect from Bogdanovich. But he had 32 and led the way. Mitchell didn't have a great night, 21 points on 19 shots, but he also didn't have much help. Rudy Gobert had 17 and 10. And finally, uh, his usage rate, or I should say uh, his minutes played were up. He played 42 minutes in this game, um, which is not something that we've seen all too frequently. He was at 32 minutes last game, 30 minutes the game before. In fact, this is the first playoff game so far that he's played in in uh, more than 40 minutes, 40 or more minutes. And actually his next highest minutes total was 36. He's done that a couple of times. So um, he actually played quite a bit more in this game. Uh, the Jazz bench gave them next to nothing. Jordan Clarkson did have 15 points, but nobody else did anything. The rest of the bench combined to score two points. And uh, I mean, this was all about Paul George. It was more about Paul George than it was about a lack of anything from the Jazz. Um, I mean, the Jazz shot the ball decently well. They shot 37% from three. They still scored 111 points, but they could not slow down Paul George. Remember when Bogdanovich locked down Kawhi Leonard a couple of games ago in this series? There was no such locking down happening here. The Clippers scored 32 in the third quarter and held the Jazz to 18. They finished with 119. Paul George had 37 and 16 rebounds, five assists, 12 of 22 shooting, made 10 free throws in this game. Marcus Morris had another great game. He's had a strong series, 25 points. And uh, on 16 shots, Reggie Jackson had a, a great game, uh, scored 22 points on 8 of 15 shooting. Terrence Mann slid into the starting lineup, had 13 points. And uh, off the bench, uh, Luke Kennard and Patrick Beverly were both fairly quiet. But the starting lineup was so good that depth in this game was not nearly as important as uh, as 
as it has been in some some previous games. Um, this was still a fairly close game. I mean, it ended up only being an eight-point win. It was nine points. The Clippers were up nine going to the fourth quarter. Uh, but this was all about Paul George stepping up big time in the absence of Kawhi Leonard, which is not something that I, I think we could have necessarily predicted given his track record in the playoffs. Uh, but let's move over to the Eastern Conference, another game five. This was one, the first half, this thing looked like it was beyond over. It was a 22-point game at halftime. Atlanta just could not make open shots. They were missing tons of open three-point attempts. And, and again, they, this maybe was, uh, I mean, you could have looked at this since on the on the one hand, they were getting open looks. On the other hand, they were missing them. There were three of 12 on three-point attempts in the first half. Joel Embiid had, I think it was 21 or 23 in the first half. And this was a 22.6ers lead at halftime. And, and it felt like this game was just completely over. But then suddenly it wasn't. And it isn't like there was one insane, I mean, Trey Young had 39 points, um, but but this was more about the Sixers' lack of ability to do anything offensively late in this game. Um, I mean, it was still an 18-point game going to the fourth quarter. This wasn't like like the Hawks just completely dominated the entire second half and, you know, Trey Young scored 50 and a half or something crazy. Um, this, was, this was fourth quarter. The Sixers could get nothing going offensively, and the Hawks basically scored at will for as bad as they were on threes in the first half. Um, they shot what seven of 13 in the second half after going two of thir- or excuse me, three of 12 in the first half. Um, so they did shoot the ball better in the second half, certainly. Um, but this, this stat actually illustrates it pretty well. And it's, it's insane. And I, I went back and I, I triple checked this to make sure that this wasn't incorrect. There were only two players in the entire Sixers roster that made a shot from the field in the entire second half, two players, Seth Curry, and Joel Embiid. Nobody else made a shot in the second half. How does that, I, I don't understand how that happens at all. Um, the the Hawks played Hacka Simmons in both halves and it worked. Ben Simmons was four of 14 at the free throw line. Just a miserable night for him. He only had eight points on two of four shooting, four of 14 at the line for Simmons. And uh, I mean, that was a huge piece of this. Embiid, for as good as he was in the first half, he was also pretty good in the second half, but he was doing it basically by himself. Tobias Harris had been so good in the series, but shot two of 11, turned in just a 4.4 rebound performance in 38 minutes. And the Sixers just could not get anything going offensively. In terms of the comeback, I'm going to steal some statistics here from ESPN. They listed these out in their in their gamer over at NBA. or excuse me, ESPN.com. Philadelphia became the only team to lose back-to-back 18-point leads in playoff games in the past 25 seasons. The 22-point halftime deficit the Hawks overcame was the third largest halftime rally in NBA postseason history. The Sixers were 165-0. A perfect 165 for 165 in the past 25 seasons went up by 25 points or more at any point in the game, regular season or playoffs. And at one point, Philadelphia had a win probability percentage of 99.7. 99.7. I was surprised. I was actually surprised that they were the only team to lose back-to-back 18-point leads in playoff games in the past 25 seasons. Um, I, I, like, I don't know what else to say about this other than you know, how did the Clippers, or excuse me, not the Clippers? Doc, Doc Rivers threw me off on that one. How did the, uh, the the how? What do the Sixers do? They have to go to Atlanta now to stave off elimination and force a Game Seven back at their place. That's going to be a really difficult thing to do. The Hawks obviously now have all the momentum. And, uh, you know, fantastic performance again from Trey Young. He had 39 in this game, um, and, and that's the headline in terms of in terms of the Hawks. But Lou Williams had 15 off the bench, had a huge fourth quarter, I should say, actually. Um, I think he had 14 just in the fourth quarter. Uh, 
14 of his 15 points, 7 of 11 shooting. The Hawks as a team shot the ball extremely well in the fourth quarter. 16 of 22 was the Hawks shooting mark from the floor in the fourth quarter of this game. Um, Daniil Gallinari was also really good at 16 and 8 off the bench, 19 and 11 for John Collins. So uh, as bad as they were early, and they were bad. I mean, the first quarter was mostly missed open shots. They were down 14 after the first. Second quarter, the the it just kind of looked like the Hawks were starting to consider mailing it in. There were some easy transition buckets for the Sixers secondary break. The Hawks weren't getting back. And then at halftime, it was like a switch flipped and the Hawks played hard in the third quarter and finally gained all their ground back in the fourth. Um, and so this series goes to game six, as I, I mentioned a moment ago, back in Atlanta and the Hawks have a chance to upset the Sixers, close this thing out and move on, um, which would just be, you know, I, what did I, I picked the Sixers in in six in this series. That obviously can't happen anymore, um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. In it would it would be a surprise at this point for me to see the Sixers close out two more games after a demoralizing loss like this. So at this point, the Hawks have the momentum, and it's it's easy to see them closing this series out. But we'll see what happens. Okay, um, that's all I have for you today here on the show. I do, I, I believe on Friday, I should have Mock Draft 3.0, Lockdown NBA Mock Draft 3.0, when uh, including yours truly making a pick for the Timberwolves, somewhere in the top three, don't want to spoil it. Uh, that will be posted on YouTube as well as on this feed and the Lockdown NBA feed and a bunch of other places. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Should be coming up on Friday. Um, otherwise, that's all I have today. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, of course, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. You can follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and also the all-new Odyssey app, really anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves. That's at Lockdown T-Wolves. Don't forget the T and at B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. We'll be back on Friday. A reminder that today's episode was brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.